0: Day on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farrak.
1: Strength and power under control. That's meekness. And there's a difference between meekness and humility. Meekness is how we are outwardly to others. Humility is how we are inwardly concerning ourselves. But I want to talk just a moment about the humility in contrast with pride. We know from the Proverbs that humility is the beginning of wisdom. And it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom.
0: Meekness can be seen as how you treat others, which is different from humility in thinking of yourself inwardly. With this in mind, Pastor J.D. shares how humility contrasts with pride. When you become prideful, you lack fear for the Lord. But humility is the beginning of wisdom and leads to a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Isaiah chapter 16 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Revelation
1: 12, verses 13 and 14. Now, when the dragon, Satan, saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Who's the woman? Thank you so much. Who gave birth to the male child. That's capitalized in your Bible, right? Who's that? I know this is going to be shocking, but Jesus was a Jew. I know, right? No, you you wouldn't know that today. Because you see, there's a movement, I don't know if you know this or not, it's gaining traction in the church in America. That Jesus was a Palestinian. Oh, good, thank you for laughing like that. Because it's laughable. First of all, there's no such thing as a Palestinian. There are no more Philistines. It is a farce who were the arch enemy of the Israelites, the Philistines. So it was originally called Philistia, which is transliterated Philistine or Palestine, Palestinian. That's how it got its name. For 2000 years, well nigh 2000 years, it was called Palestine, not because of the Palestinians. That's because of the name of the enemy of the Israelites. In fact, before 1948, I mean, I'm, I'm already there. I might as well just do it. Prior to 1948, May 14th, when Israel was reborn as a nation in a day fulfilling, by the way, Bible prophecy in Ezekiel, down to the gnats eyebrow. And yes, again, gnats have eyebrows. It was that specific. Ezekiel inquiring of the Lord, can a nation be born in a day? And that's exactly what happened. And when Israel was reborn as a nation on May 14th, 1948, the prophecy clock started. In fact, I would argue that it started to speed up. And then when you get to 1967 and the miraculous six-day war, when Israel recaptured their eternal capital of Jerusalem, that's when it really started to speed up. And that was a major fulfillment of Bible prophecy that set in motion that final generation that would be alive at the coming and the return of the Son of Man. So the Jews in that time, prior to 1948, do you know they were called Palestinians? How about that? So the Arabs were also called Palestinians prior to 1948. So then Israel is reborn as a nation, and now we refer to them affectionately as the Jewish people. And then all of a sudden, you've got now these Palestinians, and they lay claims to the land. And there's the lie, I'm going to call it that, that when the Jews returned to the land, they took it from the so-called Palestinians, which were actually Arabs. So we're talking about the Moabites. These are modern day Jordanians. These are Arab people. If you want to get specific, they're Moabites. But you've got a lot of different people groups that would constitute what we call today the Arab people. You've got Moabites, Jebusites, all the ites. (laughs) Basically a mixing of people groups, all constituting what we call the Arab people today. And And this was huge for me, by the way, growing up, because, you know, when I realized there was no such thing as a Palestinian, my dad was Egyptian. And I'm like, who am I? (laughs) I know who I am. But if I'm not a Palestinian, what am I? You're an Arab. Deal with it. (laughs) Okay, so I'm an Arab. I'm a mixture of all of these different people groups, Moabites, Jebusites. So the problem is, is that these Arabs came up with, and it came from the father of lies, this lie that the Jews took their land. They did not take their land. In fact, there were no Arabs in the land. And the Arabs that were there, the landowners, the Jews bought their land for an exorbitant amount of money. And it was swamp land. And you know what they did? They started planting trees, and they turned those malaria infested swamp land that they bought for exorbitant prices into these lush and that fulfilled another prophecy in Ezekiel i mean the land flowing with milk and honey and you go to israel today ah i'm starting to wax sentimental here let's move on so The dragon, Satan, sees that he had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman, Israel, who gave birth to the male child, Jesus. But, verse 14, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Now, stop right there too. We have a problem here because many have suggested that this is a reference to the United States because that's our national symbol. This is not a reference to the United States of America. That does not comport, it is incompatible with Bible prophecy, because we know that at this time no nation stands with Israel, by design, by the way, by God's design, because it will be only God. All the nations of the earth will be gathered against her. The reference here to a great eagle eagle in scripture is a type of divinity. It is a picture of God himself. The eagle is a type in typology of deity of God that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time, three and a half years from the presence of the serpent, for the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. Uh, one more real quick typology here, and we'll, we'll move on. Uh, I love typology. I, I bet you couldn't tell. <laughs> but Israel is saved in the midst of the seven-year tribulation, at the halfway point, at the midpoint. In the midst of the seven-year tribulation, The Jewish nation comes to salvation. They flee for the last three and a half years to Petra, Jordan, where God Himself will take care of them until that time is complete and the second coming when they call upon Him, whom they (laughs) uh, wounded and pierced. And He comes with us, ten thousands by His side, as one so aptly said it, At the rapture, Jesus comes for us. At the second coming, Jesus comes with us as His bride by His side. Now here in the midst of the seven-year tribulation, Israel is saved. Well, we have a type in Daniel, and we know it as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're thrown into this seven time's hotter fiery furnace. Why? Because they refused to worship the image that they were to bow down and worship. And oh, by the way, another very interesting typology, uh, 60 cubits by six with six instruments played and they were to bow down and worship. Six, six, six. And they refused. And they were cast... Into the seven times, not five, not six, not eight. Again, I'm sorry if I sound snarky when I say this. Seven. Count them. Seven times hotter, fiery furnace. They're in the midst of the seven times hotter, fiery furnace. And what happens? They get saved. (laughs) How do they get saved? Oh, because... Jesus saved them. That's Jesus in the furnace, in the midst of the seven-year tribulation. It's kind of humorous. I I love it. I don't want to take it too far, which I always do, but it's so humorous. It's because, you know, here's, you know, Nebuchadnezzar going, "Um, didn't we throw three guys in there? Yeah, I see four and one looks like the son of God. And then he says, get out. If I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm like, no, we're good. I'm fine. You're threw me in here in the first place. What, what do you mean, come out now? They're saved in the midst of the seven times hotter fiery furnace, a picture of Israel who will be saved in the midst of the seven year tribulation. Question, where's Daniel? Oh, he's not there. Where is he? Oh, before the seven times hotter fiery furnace, Daniel is taken up, exalted to a high position pre furnace. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Daniel's a picture of the church. We've talked many times about the typology replete throughout the Old Testament. You have this typology of the rapture. The rapture's in the Old Testament, where you have a picture, a type of the church taken out before the tribulation. And that's just one of actually many. Verse 6, we have heard, here it is now, of the pride of Moab. He is very proud. What are they so proud of? Oh, their haughtiness. Wait, what? They're proud of their pride. Listen, I, I could be rightfully accused of being very proud of my humility, and even humble about my pride. But proud of your pride, that's pretty proud that's pride. You're very proud of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath. but his lies shall not be so. Well, this is again is the the takeaway, I believe from this that applies to us. This is why. this is the why. Behind the what? This prophecy against Moab. It's because of their pride. We also see this same prophecy in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 48, beginning in verse 29. We have heard of Moab's pride. How great is her arrogance, of her insolence, her pride, her conceit, and the haughtiness of her heart. I know her insolence, but it is futile, declares the Lord, and her boasts accomplish nothing. You know what's interesting about Moab? At this time, they really had nothing to be proud of. They were just a small, really powerless, You know, Babylon, the Assyrians, yeah, they could probably boast in their pride and be proud of their pride. But Moab, these were nobodies, which goes to tell you, and I think, again, there's a lesson here for us. And it has to do with pride is so insidious, and it doesn't matter, little or small, pride can set in. And we can find ourselves like Moab here in all of our arrogance. Verse 7, Therefore Moab shall wail for Moab, everyone shall wail, for the foundations of Kir Haraseth you shall mourn. Surely they are stricken, for the fields, verse 8, of Heshbon languish, and the vine of Sibmah, the lords of the nations, have broken down its choice plants, which have reached to Jazer, and wandered through the wilderness. Her branches are stretched out. They are gone over the sea. Therefore, I will bewail the vine of Sibmah, with the weeping of Jazer. I will drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Elielah for battle cries have fallen over your summer fruits and your harvest. Verse 10, gladness is taken away, and joy from the plentiful field in the vineyards. There will be no singing, nor will there be shouting. No treaders will tread out wine in the presses. I have made their shouting cease. Therefore, verse 11, my heart shall resound like a harp for Moab, and my inner being for Kir Hedes, And it shall come to pass, when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place, that he will come. I want you to pay particular attention to this. He will come to his sanctuary. Oh, interesting. Not my sanctuary. He's going to go to his sanctuary to pray, but he will not prevail. In other words, he's going to go to his gods, which are no gods at all, which is why he will not prevail. Were he to come into my sanctuary, well, then now we can talk. Now I will hear from on high and hearken unto the voice of his cry, verse 13 and 14, and we'll end the chapter. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning Moab since that time. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, within three years, as the years of a hired man, the glory of Moab will be despised with all that great multitude, and the remnant will be very small and feeble." What a way to end (laughs) the chapter, but here again we have yet another invitation. Moab, oh Moab, humble yourself, repent. And sadly, they don't. And so God has to judge because he's a just judge. And this is the end of pride. Pride comes before the fall, and haughtiness before the destruction. Replete throughout the book of Proverbs, as we studied through that book, amazing book, you'll find time and time again how God resists the proud. He knows the proud from afar off. It's like, get away from me. I I, I can't, no. You know why that is, by the way? Because God Himself is humble. God Himself is humble. You ever thought about it like that? And God is all-powerful, yet He is humble. Think about when Jesus was here. This is going to tie into our Jesus in his meekness. Meekness is never imagine meekness as synonymous with weakness. The best definition I've ever heard of meekness is strength and power under control. That's meekness. And there's a difference between meekness and humility. Meekness is how we Are outwardly to others, humility is how we are inwardly concerning ourselves. But I want to talk just a moment about the humility in contrast with pride. We know from the Proverbs that humility is the beginning of wisdom, and it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. But when you read those passages, not just in Proverbs, but throughout Scripture, particularly when you get to James, and you read about pride, it should make the hair on the back of our necks stand on end. It should get our attention. Because God cannot. God Himself, Jesus was so meek, so humble. Think about this. He was so meek, so humble, not weak. This was God incarnate. He could have just in an instant called upon the heavenly host at any moment. So he was so meek, so humble, so approachable that children wanted to be around him. Now think about the average adult today. I'll speak for myself. Children see me. They don't run to me. They run from me. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> Just look at him. It doesn't help either when I don't smile. I can. The children were so attracted. There had to be something about Jesus that made him so approachable to children. You know the account when all of these children are flocking to him and the disciples are like, what are you? Get get out of here, kids, go play. Do you know who this is? And Jesus is like, (laughs) stop. He didn't say it like that, but he rebuked them. Don't do that. Don't forbid the children from coming to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven made up of these. I picture the Savior constantly surrounded by children. He was not intimidating. There was nothing in his countenance, in his disposition, in his demeanor whatsoever that would have been of any threat to a little child. That's meekness. That's humility. And I'll add, that's love. I would imagine that Jesus was so loving. And you just wanted to be around him. And there was nothing threatening about him. And isn't this true when it comes to humility? Humility is so attractive. By the way, I reluctantly reference movies, but, uh, or even sporting events for that matter. But isn't it true that this is what attracts us to the underdog? It's humility. Pride is repulsive and humility is attractive.
0: You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. As you continue to learn from Isaiah with Pastor J.D., make sure to really think about what you're hearing and what God wants to speak to you today through Scripture. We encourage you to keep reading on your own. If you're not already part of a local church that you call home, we encourage you to find one and attend regularly to grow in relationship with God and others. And if you're in or near the Kaneohe area, come visit us. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can also access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates. In addition to that, you may be interested in the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This is a simple guide to sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Isaiah together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know what those prayer requests might be? Just fill out the contact form under the About tab at CalvaryChapelKaniohe.com or come find us on social media. There's a link to our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook pages on our website. We encourage you to follow them so you can stay up to date with all that's happening at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe and in Spirit and Truth. That's all we have time for today but thanks for listening to In Spirit and Truth.
1: Keeping me right with you away. holding me true to you La la la